But this morning as we look at chapter 2, go ahead and turn your scriptures and you'll see in your bulletin where there is uh, uh, sermon notes. And it's fill in the blank. And today we are talking about confession. Uh, I have part of the title, A Secular Song by John Mayer. I cannot stand John Mayer, just so you know. This is not some uh, bequeathed moment of fandom. I cannot handle the guy, but he is a phenomenal guitar player. Uh, But for some reason, the title of this song came to my head when I was thinking through the concept of confession. And that actually made me go look at Uh, what this uh, song says. We'll get to that later on as we move through uh, and and look at what Jonah does while in the great sea creature. Uh, We settled that controversy a couple weeks ago. Is it a fish? Is it a whale? Uh, The actual original language basically breaks down to giant or very large sea creature. So you can just kind of hang on to that. And we finish with a segue out of chapter 1, verse 17. Jonah's been thrown over. And it says these tremendous words, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This has been a stalwart part of our series in Jonah. Part of what we want you to walk away with in this study is the sovereignty of God. That there are no mistakes when it comes to God. And as Jonah has penned uh, his story, or whoever pens this story, they speak to the fact that the Lord appointed a saving grace for Jonah. That was pretty gross I don't get it I don't understand Jonah becomes our pescatarian of scriptures by default but uh, it it is in scripture and therefore it's something that we can take some value from now we move into chapter 2 we see where Jonah is somewhere around the large intestine of a giant fish gives you cause to think You don't have a whole lot to do in there. You're not picking up any Wi-Fi signal. Uh, You can't watch TV. There's no books. There's just only you and what you can possibly imagine in the belly of a fish. Can't describe what's going on in there. Don't really care to. Don't want to know. All I know is that this uh, gentleman, God's man, God's messenger, God's servant, has been isolated in order that he might get to where God wants him to be. God will appoint whatever is necessary in order that we get to where he wants us to be. For us this morning, the message speaks specifically to the concept and idea of those barriers that we allow into our life that create the hindrances. We may not directly say, hey, I want to run away from this challenge that God's asking me to do and and run the other way, but we may invite things into our life that become barriers. That is sin, active choices of sin. And by doing so, it creates a barrier between us and God that God does not want there. 
And then that leaves us to a point where we say, how come I don't experience God the way I would like to? How come His grace seems to be far from me? And we're left with the the choices that we have made to work against God. Do you see that? Jonah made a choice to work against God. And God said, I'm going to do some work, some appointed work, to the point where you're going to change your mind. And here we are in chapter 2. One of the beauties that we see is that Jonah is isolated. He has time to think. It's one of the beauties of why we practice communion, is it gives us time to pause. It gives us time to contemplate and go before our Lord where the rest of the week and and maybe even our church service is so frenetic that we miss God. We're just moving from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. Trust me, I know. That's what I'm doing today. I'm teaching. I'm doing this. I'm leading worship. I got a membership class. You know, I'm working on making sure this like does this and this does that and and this thing's going to work there and and it's just so frenetic and sometimes i wonder how it is for you on any given sunday morning are you just moving from one thing to the next to the next and so this is one of the reasons that we see the great value in slowing down and giving you opportunity weekly to isolate between you and god to remember him Amen? Let's pray that we might understand what He has for us today. Father, You have given us everything that we need in heaven and in earth in order that we might know You, we might have relationship with You, and we might thrive in the midst of a broken world. I thank You for Your Scripture today and the message that it brings to us. Let it speak to our hearts. Let it encourage and lift up and instruct and correct. Let us have hearts that are ready to listen. Thank you, Father. Let your Spirit work mightily throughout our service. And especially now in the examination and chewing of the Word. Speak to us, Father. Amen. Well, this morning what we're really looking at is confession. And so as we look at this idea of confession... Think in these terms. Soul confession is the gateway to peace and a pathway to freedom. A most thorough elixir for guilt. Do you hear or do you find yourself thinking about those challenges in life that we don't necessarily enjoy doing self-examination? I think it goes back to that great fault of society called school where we would have to take tests. And you would get back your tests, which really wasn't an examination to see how much you had gathered as far as information and and conceptualizing it and mastering it. It was a comparison between you and all of the other kids in your class to see who was smarter. Did you figure that one out yet? Right? And so I was the kid that was always with his paper. You know, the paper came and I was like... What'd you get? Oh, yeah. What'd you get? Oh, yeah. Oh. And I hated seeing those red marks, right? I mean, how many times can you get a a, a big circle with a thing that says D for dumb at the top, right? 
That doesn't do much for your... No, that never happened. Somebody told me D was for dumb. That was the guy that sat next to me. Saw the grade. Never liked to admit when I crashed and burned. Anybody here love it? Right? We had a, 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 a moment in our lives, a temporary moment of insanity at the dinner table one time where I, I told the children, the children. <laughs> well, actually, at that time, yes, they were, they were, you know, they were much younger. And I said, hey, let's just do something for fun. You guys get an ollie here. We, an ollie is an ollie, ollie, oxen free in our house. So you get no uh, ramifications to your statement. So I want to hear how bad mom and dad have messed up in raising you. You can say whatever you want to say, and there will be zero ramifications. I looked over, and my wife has turned pale white. And my kids, there was actually a, a, a significant shock and awe moment. Like their eyes got really big, started to glass over, and saliva started to run out of their mouths. And uh, it, was, it was a telling moment. And how many people really relish the idea? Hey, tell me where I've screwed up. We rail against it, don't we? We rail against it. And the biggest challenge to dealing with confession is this idea, this insipid idea that somebody uh, put in as a trajectory to our soul that guilt, it's all about guilt when you confess. Remember this statement, soul confession is the gateway to peace and a pathway to freedom, a most thorough elixir for guilt. You think Jonah didn't feel guilty as the Sailors were panicking for their lives, knowing that their lives were in danger because of him. You think Jonah didn't feel guilty the moment he boarded that boat? He already had guilt. It is this chapter 2 and the expression of his confession that gives him freedom and peace. And we'll see that as we work through this. Let's break this down piece by piece, shall we? Say what you need to say. Don't, don't hold back when it comes to confession. We're in Jonah 2, and let's start with verses 1 through 2. We see Jonah doing what? Calling out to the Lord. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of, of the fish. That's probably one of the most predictive verses in all of Scripture. You get thrown overboard, you have a relationship with God, and now a fish swallows you. You're not doing a crossword puzzle, folks, right? You are going to call out to the Lord. So we see this is exactly what Jonah does. This is where he starts in the midst of crisis. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. This is point two. Calling out with the confidence that the Lord is listening. When we go to confession, do we have a confidence that God is actually listening? Is there value? Is there worth? How many of us, when we have offended somebody, just have a ghost conversation in the mirror and we imagine that person and we never actually have the conversation and we feel like this is something of value, this is credible, this works? Now, we may actually do that, but let me give you a hint. It has no bearing or impact. 
may make you feel a little bit better in the moment, but you have to do a face-to-face. It does no good to have confession unless you really, truly are engaging with the individual you have offended. Jonah believed God was listening by his very testimony. How do we, how do we know this? It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And it says what? He answered me. One of the, 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 the complete um, components of understanding confession is that God is always eager to listen. God is always paying attention. God is always at work. If he appointed a fish to swallow Jonah, do you not think he's paying attention and listening? In your own crisis where there is a need for confession, do you not think that your Lord is paying attention to you? He who sent his own son to die for you, there's a great verse in Romans about this. It says, if he who gave his own son and and his son went through death on a cross, He was willing to do that. Do you not think that he is not paying attention? God is listening. And Jonah knew this. Next, calling out the reality of the crisis. Now, I want want to show you something because we're going to finish with another list. It won't be an alliteration with C. It'll be an alliteration with A. And it will come from a a great book on on peace called The Peacemaker. Um, What we're doing here is just looking at the Scripture and observing what happened. The other, other, when we finish today, these will be principles that we have garnered from Scripture, but they're practical applications that we're just going to say, hey, practice these things, and you'll do a complete practice of confession. But right now, when we're looking at these alliterations, when we're talking about say what you need to say, We're simply observing what happened in this moment of confession so we can learn and we can see what a complete confession looks like. So we would be remiss to skip over the idea that Jonah realized the reality of his crisis. He makes mention of it. And we're in verses 3 through 6. For you cast me into the deep. Now let's stop for a second. How many of you have chosen in your prayers to blame God for your circumstances? Does that sound like that's what Jonah's doing here? You cast me over the boat into the deep. Is this one of those wayayata moments? I don't think so. I think when you see the totality of what he's doing, He's recognizing God's appointed hand over him. And he understands the reality of his crisis. It's not so much the circumstances of what he's going to say, waves, depths, weeds, all of that. It's you had to get to the point where you threw me overboard me to pay attention i recognize that that was the real crisis that is the real reality and there is no shying away no shying away and so next let's keep reading for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me 
All your waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet shall I look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He makes no soft sell of his circumstance in his confession. He understands what he has done and he verbalizes it. He talks about the circumstance, but he also talks about the cause and effect. Look, I chose to wander from you. I forced your hand to throw me over. You then threw me over the deep in order that I might what? In order that I might come right. In order that I might come right. Next, calling out, clinging to idols and forfeiting God's grace. The NIV, I'm actually going to go off script here, get out of the ESV, and in my studies did some work, and I often do with uh, parallel Bibles. I like how the NIV actually terms this uh, in verse 7. It says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. It's that verse 8 where we see this idea of clinging. The ESV uses this understanding of to pay regard. That is to, with great intent, pay attention. It's interesting, I did a, a illustration on this, and, and I think I've just become too much of a wimp. I actually asked Janine where our clothespins were last night, and then I rethought what I was about to do. I did an illustration years ago that was pretty painful. I had a, I had a, a policeman come up and handcuff my, my uh, arms behind my back. And then one by one, I had individuals, as I mentioned, sins that we struggle with, come up and put clothespins on my ears. Yeah, you get the picture? Good. I'm so glad I chose just to tell you about it rather than do it again. Because you all got it. There was a visceral, ugh. I have to tell you, that was very, very uncomfortable, but the visual of it was more of an impact. So much so that I had to, you know, try to bring the class back together again so that they would pay attention to what we were actually teaching on. You see, the idea is that I'm helpless, right? I am shackled because of sin. I have no way to fix this. I would have to ask my friend Brian to come unlock my hands, just like we have to do in confession before God. I cannot fix my guilt. There's nothing I can do. My hands are tied. And yet I will still make choices to sin against God Because I struggle with my natural man and with the sinful world around me. But I make those choices, and those choices, in effect, cause and effect, bring me pain. I don't want to admit it, but it's beautiful when I did this illustration, the looks on the audience's face. Because they're just sitting there grimacing, even like five minutes later, they're like, oh, come on, take those off. And then they realize, I can't. I can't take it off. 
And that was the most painful illustration I've ever gone through. That's why I'm too much of a wimp to do it now. I'm just going to tell you about it. Then I asked Brian to come up and unshackle me, and I slowly named sins and took those clothespins off my ears. My ears used to be beautiful before that illustration. <laughs> now they're, they are what they are. That idea of clinging that Jonah says here in verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols. You know, many of us in the church today, we want to say, hey, I'm not, I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not cheating on my husband. I, I'm not... Um, I'm not stealing i haven't murdered anybody i'm a pretty decent person until we get to idolatry and we don't talk about idolatry anymore do we and there are so many things we put before god jonah put himself and his reputation before god he said i'm no longer interested in serving you as your messenger I was good with that when it was like really popular, what I was saying. But now you're going to ask me to do something that I'm going to lose all my popularity. This is going to cost me something. So I'm not, I'm not good with this anymore. And there was a guilt that set in with Jonah. It's one of the reasons he's down underneath trying to sleep it off. Guilt causes depression, folks. But we cannot be free from guilt unless we practice exactly what Jonah's doing here, which is confession. So he, his realization is very, very simple and very profound. He says, verse 8, those who pay regard or those who cling to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. Why am I struggling in my relationship with God? Why am I not feeling His presence? Because I've made choices to cling to idols. And I have yet to confess that and have the Lord do a work in my life to set me free from that. And so we learn from Jonah his confession. He comes to the realization that it was his clinging to a worthless idol. The things that he had been given, the notoriety, whatever it was, the promise of Israel and only Israel being God's people, and yet God reaches out to the very enemy of Israel? I don't, I don't really, I'm not comfortable with that, God. I'm not comfortable with that. Because he had idolized his nation, maybe. He had idolized his position, maybe. Brothers and sisters, this is where we get into the very easy debasing of the evangelical church is it we have narrowed the field of what sin is and as long as we don't fit inside these parallels we're doing pretty good but why do i not feel close to god because we haven't taken an examination from inside of a fish as to what real sin is jonah gets there he realizes the reality of the situation, and so he confesses. The word confess, uh, I thought I wrote it down in my notes. I did homolegeo, homolegeo, I can't pronounce that, but you know, it's something like that, which means self-proclamation. 
Self-proclamation. Now, when we think of confession, we often think, or at least I do, I think of it in context to confessing sin. And yet, Romans 10.9 uses this same concept of homologeo in talking about if I am faithful to testify, that's another way that you can interpret that Greek word, or it would be Hebrew here, the transliteration in the Greek. Another way to look at it is this idea that if we are faithful to testify, to confess that Jesus is Lord, the Son of God, died on the cross, raised three days later, then what? We will be what? We will be saved. So this word isn't always in context to talking about our failures before God. It is simply a self-owning of a proclamation. All right? A word. So as we look at this, let's get to the last one here. Calling out who is worthy of our devotion and commitment. So number one, he starts with the idea he knows something is wrong. Right? Jonah's Jonah's one of, one of the brighter guys in, in, the, in the Old Testament. And he figures out something is wrong. And it probably has something to do with me. As I'm sinking to my death, and now a fish has swallowed me, this is odd. What are you doing, God? Usually when I ask, what are you doing, God, it makes me think about myself. What am I doing, Jeremy? And so here we have him calling out to the Lord. Secondly, He's calling out with the confidence that the Lord is listening. Third, he talks, he calls out, he speaks the reality of the situation between him and God and his circumstances. Say what you need to say. Don't hold back if you want the power of confession to truly work in your life. Next, calling out to clinging to idols and forfeiting God's grace. The recognition of, of what is the cause and effect here because of my choice. I own this and I will speak to it. I will speak to it. Calling out who is worthy of our devotion and commitment. This is where you want to land at the end of your confession. It's a recognition. Now you've, you've dealt with all the things that are, are at play. You've recognized that. You take them before God. And now you're coming correct. And you're saying, God, you are in control. And so he says this, verse 9, But I with the voice of what? Thanksgiving. Does this sound like the Jonah we see at the end of the story? Gosh, the number one thing about confession is what? I confess, and then I what? I do it all over again. So what's the point of confession? And yet God is faithful. He knows that we will still struggle. Here Jonah is saying, I recognize you, God, but with the voice of thanksgiving. Thank you for saving me. Because it was certain death. Then he says what? But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah had to come to Jesus moment inside of a fish. And it finishes with acknowledging that God is God and we are who we are. And in the midst of something that looks like it's pretty horrendous, 
what he comes to understand in the midst of his confession is that God is his Savior. God is his Savior. And what's the result? Spiritual vomit. Right? That's such a visceral story. My Sunday school teachers love this one. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Kind of like an Aquaman thing, right? right? God spoke to the fish and told him, go swallow this guy now. Okay, now go spit him out. Bet you before you walked in here today, you would never see God as Aquaman. Don't. When we think about what Jonah did, we have to learn from that. What does this story tell us? What does this examination, this powerful demonstration of confession do for us this morning? Well, when we think about say what you need to say, let me read these statements to you. These are just a couple of the verses that are in this secular song. Please understand, I'm fully recognizing this is a secular song. But it's fascinating that these words were written to the point where it compelled me to think, hey, I wonder what he's saying in these verses. And it is fascinating. He says that statement, say what you need to say, I think 20 times. It's not the most brilliant song in the world. Didn't take the most effort in the world to write it. But he says it over and over and over and over. And I think maybe he was on to something here. That we want to resist doing the very thing that gives us freedom. Because it's uncomfortable for us. But in effect, it is healthy for us. Listen to these words. It says, have no fear for giving in. Have no fear for giving over. You'd better know that in the end it's better to say too much than never say what you need to say again. Even if your hands are shaking and your faith is broken, even as the eyes are closing, do it with a heart wide open. Say what you need to say. When I think about that last verse, it reminds me of some dynamics for myself growing up. You know, you learn a lot when you're an adult. You wish you knew as a kid. And I, I guess as I've studied things and I've done a little bit of counseling, I, I have found out the term dysfunctional family. Uh, never knew that. I just thought this is what family is, and, and yet a highly dysfunctional family. And, um, you know, just the, the sins of the father... Uh, and actually, this isn't about the father, this is about the mother, but the, the, the trauma that was put into my mother's life, she never dealt with. And so because of that trauma, I didn't understand why life was, the, and I'll just keep it to that, why life was the way it was growing up. I will simply say my mother was an angry wreck most of her life. And it was a tragedy. When I say most of her life, most of her adult life, all of her life that I knew. And there were moments from college on where I was estranged from my mother. But Janine is the great healer. Everybody loves Janine. And so that seemed to smooth everything over in our family. And, uh, and then my mom dealt with cancer and eventually succumbed to that. And I remember my dad calling, saying, it's time, you need to get up here. And, and at that point, we were in L.A., and they were in Santa Maria. And so I'm at, I'm at mom's bed in the hospital. And my 
father and I had to walk with my father through the signing of the DNR and, and all of those things. And that's not something at, I don't know, age 32, 31, you're thinking through. And so there's a lot of mixed emotions in this situation. Here's what's fascinating. I'm standing there and mom's kind of slipping in and out of consciousness. And this was one salient moment where she was focused. And she says, I'm sorry. She says, I'm sorry. Now, my response after that was less than righteous. Which was, how dare you do this now? How dare you do this when you know you're leaving? And now we can have no repaired relationship. You know, there was a lot of mixed emotions in that moment of confession, but this, that's why this verse stuck with me and I felt like I wanted to share it with you. Even when your eyes are about to close, say what you need to say. Right? Because there's a value in that. And what can I take from that? Oh, I can look at the frustrating part of it and, and say, you know, you took the easy way out here. But I can also look at the part of saying it was something that had been on her mind for a long time. And if I really see what God was doing in that moment, He gave a moment between my mother and I that she felt enough and there was freedom in that moment for her. And there's been freedom in that moment for myself as well. It is important that we say what we need to say. I want to pass on to you, oh, here's the, sorry, I didn't know I had that stuff. There you go. So it's like a song. It just eventually reveals itself. There you go. Um, so confession provides freedom from guilt. Another way that maybe I can picture this for you is I went on this ride as a kid. Anybody ride this ride? I called it the circle of death. It's not what they called it. I called it the circle of death. You know what? is the key to this is that this uses the law of inertia. Nobody told me about the law of inertia when I went on this thing. And so I never saw it in operation. My friends just ran to it. There was no line. It's like, oh, cool, no line. Let's get on. What, what does this thing do? And so they put this little loose chain, right? There's this cage. There's these bars you hold onto. And then there's this silly loose chain. It's this. Look, look at this. And then look at a little chain. All right? Now, the wheel's spinning, and we're being pushed against the back. Yay, okay, I get it. We're going to throw up in, a, in, in about two minutes. I get it. Okay? And then all of a sudden, the, the gates of Hades began to open, and my death was revealed before me as this started to climb up on a vertical um, you know, plane. And I'm like, this is insane. This is insane. How am I supposed to hang on when I go up above? And I'm watching all these other people, and they're all, ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. And I'm like, please don't go around again. I don't have any more I am holding on. There were dents in the metal bars, and I was eight years old. That's how trauma, let me show you how traumatized I was. That's an actual picture of my trauma. But here is the, here's the idea. Is it if somebody just told me, look, there's something you don't understand. You can actually let go. 
And you'll experience, you'll experience joy like everybody else. But I had no joy. <laughs> I was messed up for weeks. <laughs> Folks, this is where we are with confession. It's scary. But can I help you understand the reality? I get it. You're delving into the unseen because it's dangerous when we confess. How will we be what? Received. Understand the faithfulness of your Father. The faithfulness of the Father says that, well, we'll get to it. I don't want to give it away. It's a big secret. You'll never get it, John, 1 John 1, 9. Let's get to some key components as we wrap up today from the peacemaker. Ken Sandy wrote a great book. I highly recommend it. And these are direct from there, so I de definitely want to give him credit. Uh, on pages 125 through 133, he gives us some really good helps. He starts with the idea of why we get ourselves into these problems where we need to confess. And these are some commonalities, right? Not, not this field of sin, but <laughs> I don't have big enough arms. But, but the reality of what sin is and, and where we choose to do things. We can start with something that, that I wouldn't have written necessarily this way. He says what? An improper desire for physical pleasure. Oh, well, that's viewing pornography. I get it. And whew, I'm safe from that one, so I'm, I'm good. Mm, no, that would include an addiction to coffee. <laughs> Christy, your, your neck nearly snapped. Wow, I really just opened up, right? I just really went for it. Improper desires for physical pleasure. I told my baristas a few weeks ago, hey, you're not going to see me for a while. <laughs> you're not going to see me. Why are you quitting coffee? And I got that question from multiple people. I, I have a routine. I'm a very routine guy, and I go down to Lazy Dog for a meeting, and I always get the same thing. And it usually ends with something called a build-your-own-Sunday. Now you know my sin. <laughs> and uh, so I stopped like two weeks ago, and the waitress was like, what? Why, why are you not? I, I said, you're asking me why I'm stopping a Sunday? And I, of course, that puts her in a horrible position if she wants a good tip. But, uh, you know, the same thing with the baristas. Why are you stopping? I said, because I don't want it to master over me. In and of itself, it's not an evil thing. But how I choose to use it can make me a slave to it. Improper physical pleasure. I should be gleaning my pleasure from the Lord, right? And yet there are things that I will commit myself to over and over that become idols, right? How many things do we choose to involve ourselves in for physical pleasure that interfere with serving the Lord? Oh, pastor, now you're getting personal. Pride and the desire to be right. I'm just going to skip that one. See, <laughs> uh, did you see how I just even demonstrated that? Pride and the desire to be right, and I'm going to skip over it because I am right. Okay, you guys understand, right? I don't need to do commentary on that one. Love of money and material possessions. Okay, well, the, you know, that fits more here. Do you know that if we lived like most of the world lived, we would have to reduce our salaries by at least two-thirds? Now, what if you had two-thirds disposable income? Imagine what you could do for those that are hungry, for those that have very little to no income, 
um, on and on and on it goes. The church here in America has been blessed. And your pastor struggles in this area. Not necessarily because I want, I want, I want. Actually, my wife's probably just like, you need to correct that statement. There are things, I have, a, I have an eye for uh, appreciation of, of quality things, and, and sometimes my mind goes to those things. But I think, for the most part, I hold those in check. I may have actually given away more guitars than I currently own because I have to make sure those things don't master over me. That's the only thing that I love is guitars. So, love of money and material possessions, Sandy says. Fear of man. Maybe we struggle in this area. Fear of man. What is it on a comparative analysis you worry about? How much of your day is consumed with impressing someone else or doing things for the sake of acceptance. This, this was Jonah's issue, by the way, right? Fear of man. Good things we want too much. What? Good things we want too much. How can that be sin, Pastor? Do you remember a certain priest that reached out when the ark was falling? That's a good thing. We don't want to let the ark fall. That's a good thing. Remember Peter saying, Lord, never will it happen. I will not allow you to go down to Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem and be killed. And what did God say? What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Right? Our, our field of things to confess just went out to infinity and beyond. Okay? This is not a comprehensive list. This is just enough for us to take an examination of our life. So what do we do with that? Well, we need to constantly look and examine. And today when we take communion, that will be an opportunity for you and I to do that. To look and examine our hearts. And, and where have we placed idols in our lives? Where have we, we made good things more important than God's actual will and His desire in the immediate moment, right? Because we're kings of justifying what is good and what is not. And that is a form of idolatry because then we become God. We're the ones that ultimately say what should happen, what shouldn't happen by our justification of what is good, what is not good. So we need to set a pattern of how do we move through confession? And so let me give you these seven A's in closing today. Address everyone involved. You might, you might have seen this. This comes from some of the secular programming that's out there where you have to go. And what was the TV series that was out there a few years ago? My name is Earl or something, right? And it's just one story after another of him having to go repair something with someone in some weird podunk place and it was comical I guess there is wisdom in this statement have you ever been in a situation where someone does confess but you're left out of the recognition and you're left brooding 
there's no healing between you and that person because they failed to recognize or just didn't state that you were hurt or you were offended as well. You begin to understand the importance of this practice. You can't have total freedom. I couldn't have Brian come up and, and just, you know, put the key in and then walk away. That wouldn't be enough for me to be free so that I might start confessing and removing the things causing pain in my life. He had to go all the way. I couldn't just suggest, hey, Brian, when you feel like it, could you? It was like, Brian, I need you to get up here now. My arms are killing me and my ears are falling off. Please, get up here now. Named him specifically. There wasn't anybody else involved. There wasn't anybody else who could free my arms. It was Brian. He had the key. Think about that. When there are things that we need to confess, who is it that's part of the purveyance or field of damage that needs to be included in our confession? Next, avoid if, but, and maybe. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, if you didn't have this or if you didn't have that, can we flash that cell phone sign? If we didn't have the issue of, as we move through confession and the challenges of confession, that we say if, but, or maybe, the way to relegate this or understand this is to know what it's like to have that kind of a confession done to you. Right? That's like going and purchasing something or, or paying for repair and you're told, hey, it's going to be $14.95. Okay, I saved $14.95. Here it is. Well, now there's a disposal fee for the oil. That's $1,700. Um, and on top of that, there's tax. And then the state of California requires me just to take money from you for no particular reason. So your total bill today will be $14,382. What? That's a but. That's a big but. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. There's no value to it. So avoid that if you want your confession to be good. Next, admit specifically. Admit specifically. What is it that was done? Have you ever had somebody, right? Let me give the converse of this. When, when you tell someone that you love that you love them, what does that look like? Well, you don't love me. Well, you know I love you. Of course I do. Really? Say it. Pfft. What are words? You know, you just know how I feel. You know how I feel. Say the words. Pfft. I... Uh, you. How do you feel? You feel real confident in that? You feel good about that? Same thing with confession. When we hold back from a full, complete description and being specific about things, the challenges that we have there is that we're not complete. We leave areas and territory in our life to still hold that guilt in. Be specific. Acknowledge the hurt. Right? Think about when you have been hurt, somebody stipulates in a very dry and systematic way, a mechanical way, yes, I did this, it was wrong. Let's move on. <laughs> really? This is going to take some time. 
This is going to take some time. Next, accept the consequences. Accept the consequences. You can go through con confession and you can go through forgiveness, which is the, the back end, the response to confession, right? But sometimes there are scars. Sometimes there are scars. There are things that are unavoidable that are left to us. That doesn't keep us from confessing. Because there are still consequences, but it is better to have some of those consequences but be free from the guilt. Amen? So, accept the consequences. Alter your behavior. If, if there's a true confession, a true repentance, then there's a change in behavior. There's credibility to the confession if we alter our behavior. Lastly, ask for forgiveness and allow time for that to take place. That, that is an uncomfortable thing in our society today is to go through a confession and then simply ask for forgiveness. Have you ever been on that side of it? Where they, and, and so you have to like say, I, I forgive you. And there's this, there's this sense of, of saying, oh, oh uh, I don't even know what that really means, but I forgive you. You, know, and you just move through it quick. Let's just get through this. This is uncomfortable. This is difficult. This is challenging. It takes time. Forgiveness has to happen in a stipulation of words, but it also is demonstrated over a period of time. In closing today, as we look at the challenges of confession and what we see Jonah go through, understand pride is the enemy of confession and confession the enemy of pride. They cannot coexist. Let me close in prayer this morning. Father, as we contemplate the life that Jonah lives out on these pages, what you have said is redeemable and good for us to learn, we see a whole chapter committed to his confession. And that which we can learn from, that which we can implement and make part of our lives. Father, as we move forward today in our worship of you, let us understand the value of confession and the freedom that it gives and the ability that it has for us to open up our relationship with you rather than forfeit your steadfast love. Thank you, Lord. Continue to bless our time in meeting this morning. To you be all glory. Amen.